Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. All right, so today we are going to get into uh, another parable. As you know, Pastor Lauren started a sermon series last week on, it's titled Life Illustrated, and so I am going to be jumping in on this series, and I'm going to be preaching on a parable to you today, and I'm very excited about it. So here's what I want to talk to you about in a nutshell this morning. I want to talk to you, church, about perseverance. I want to talk to you about perseverance this morning. Question for you, has anyone uh, ever checked off a list on their bucket? Anyone checked off an item on their bucket list before? Yeah, okay. Doesn't that feel good? Yeah, okay. So some, uh, not a lot of excitement there, but it feels good to check off a bucket list item. So do you want to hear about a bucket list item that I checked off this week? Oh, it was a glorious thing. Okay, so here's what it was. I was out on a run this week, and I pulled in on your left. And so there's some young people that maybe know what I'm referring to on your left. Okay, so there's a certain superhero that is famous for, while running, passing someone multiple times throughout the course of one run. And every time he does it, he says, on your left. You know, just kind of like a uh, by the way, I'm passing you again. So I'm out for a run this week, and uh, I'm enjoying it, beautiful weather, and I turn a corner, and I see an opportunity. There's a guy running, uh, you know, some distance ahead of me on the path, and he doesn't know it, but I know it, that the race has just begun. And I'm like, oh, you are going down. This is going to happen. And so I am enjoying myself. I'm picking up the pace because I'm seeing this might be my only chance to cross off my bucket list item, which is to officially on your left someone. Okay, so I'm running and running and going, oh, this guy has no idea what's coming for him. I'm going, I'm going. Finally, I get to this moment and I'm right behind him. He's got his headphones in. Perfect, he can't hear me. Just the element of surprise. And then I start to question myself, like, is this Christ-like? <laughs> is this a good thing to do, to pull it on your left? And then I'm like, well, I'll never get this chance again. And Lord knows that I've been on your left many times throughout the course of my, uh, you know, less than memorable running career. So I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. And when this certain superhero does it, he's all cool and like buff, and he's like, on your left, and then keeps running. I'm like, all right, this is how it's gonna play out in my mind, except this is how it was. Because I had like to pick up my pace to have this opportunity, I kind of turned to him, I'm like, on your left. <laughs> and I keep going. <laughs> and I'm like, it was worth it. I did it, I did it. So I on your left someone this week. It was, uh, it was an experience. It's a true story. Okay, many things in life require perseverance. And running to me is one of those things. I've enjoyed running uh, over the years. I mean, I'm not as consistent as some in it, for sure, uh, but it has been something that I have enjoyed doing over the years. And while I'm running, I often think about, or tend to think about perseverance, mainly because when you're running, it requires perseverance. There's different emotions that you feel on a run, at least for me. And so the beginning of the run, you know, you're feeling the emotion, you're excited. 
At least I am. Maybe some people are like, I wouldn't feel excited at the beginning of a run. But I do. I feel this excitement, this hopefulness. And then halfway through the run, you feel this hopeless despair. You're like, oh, why did I go this far away from home? I'm doomed. You know, and you, you seriously contemplate just laying down on the cold pavement and just staying there for a while. Okay, so that's the second emotion that you feel. And then as you, you know, turn the corner and you can see your finish line, uh, and you can see it's right there ahead of you, you're almost done. You feel this emotion or this feeling of determination, like I've done it. All I gotta do is just cross that finish line. And so that's why I've loved running. It teaches you to persevere, not only physically, but it has a lot of, you know, uh, a lot to teach you about just life and enduring something. To reach a goal requires perseverance. And so here's the big point for you this morning. The big point is that, church, we are called to persevere in our faith. We are called to reach the goal by means of perseverance. Uh, perseverance, a definition for you. Google told me this, okay, so it should be good. Uh, Google says that perseverance is persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. It's to persist, to keep doing something that is difficult. Last week in the 11 o'clock service, I mentioned a Dallas Willard quote. So if you weren't at the 11 o'clock, this will be new for you. Uh, and if you were there, this is just to remind you of some serious gold. There's this Dallas Willard quote. Uh, it's a paraphrase that I'll give you this morning, but he says that there is a fundamental difference between trying to be like Jesus and training to be like Jesus. You don't simply try to be like Jesus. Wake up one morning... You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be like Jesus. And then somebody just cuts you down. Somebody just treats you horribly. And you're like, oh, because I've you know, committed to trying to be like Jesus, I guess here's my response. And you love your enemy. It doesn't work that way. We train to be like Jesus, which means it takes effort. It takes decision. It takes practice to be like Jesus. So let's open up the word of God together if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8 this morning. Luke chapter 8. All right. So, I'm going to be reading to you this morning from the parable of the sower. Or, as I like to call it, the parable of the soil. I mean, the Bible titles that you have in, in your Bible, mine calls it the parable of the sower. Some people do refer to it as the parable of the so soil. Uh, there really wasn't a title in the beginning anyway when, when Scripture is being written. It's just there for our, you know, clarity. But I prefer the title, The Parable of the Soil. So let's read it together. I'm going to start reading in uh, verse 4. I'm going to read to the end of this section of Scripture. All right. It says this, While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell along the rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell along the thorns, which grew up with it and choked out the plants. Still other seed fell along the good soil, and it came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And when he said this, he called out, whoever has ears, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. 
And he said to them, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that seeing they may not see and though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes it away, uh, takes away the word from their hearts so they may, not, they may not believe and be saved. Those on rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it yet they have no root. They believe for a little while, but when the time of testing comes, they fall away. The seed that fell along the thorns are for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, pleasures, and they do not mature. And the seed that fell on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this amazing opportunity to be together as a church family this morning. Lord, thank you for the worship that we got to sing this morning. It's a joy to be in your house together, Lord. And Lord, I feel a particular burden on my heart this morning that you might open up our eyes to your word. God, that you might stir our hearts. We want to respond well to you, Jesus. So I pray a blessing over these words, God. Pray that you would speak in and through the words I'm about to share. In your name I pray, amen. All right. So I hear a little bit of crackling. If you remember last week, the mustache prevailed over this microphone. See if it does it again. Uh, but if that keeps happening, uh, we'll, we'll switch to a different mic. It's all good. All right. So... We're going to talk first about the parable about parables. Fascinating. As I was looking into this, this parable this week, it's a famous one. We've all heard it before, I'm sure. This, this parable is recorded in three of the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I would encourage you this week, it would be a worthwhile thing to take this into your devotions and read each account, okay? There would be a lot that you could glean from that. The, the little subtle differences and nuances in the passage and how it is recorded through the Gospel writers. Today, the assumption is that I'm going to be sharing out of the, uh, the account in Luke. So unless I otherwise state it, I'm going to be reading out of Luke's account. All right, so the passage starts off by saying this. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. And so from this, we can note just a few things. First of all, that Jesus had a reputation and he drew a crowd. People were excited to hear when Jesus was speaking. There was a buzz, and you can, you can hear as Luke is recording it, people are coming from town after town after town. They want to hear what Jesus has to say, and it's because he taught so much differently than the other teachers of the day. He spoke with an authority, and so Jesus drew a crowd. Jesus loved to interact with individuals, with small groups of people, and with crowds, and that should tell us something that there's room for that in, in our lives as well. But the second thing that we can learn is, this is the first time that we read the word parable in Luke's account. And so Jesus is now trying something new in his teaching. He's gonna tell a parable. And as Pastor Lorne said last week, parable means to throw alongside of. It's a story with meaning, to throw alongside of. And that's what we see in Luke 8 verse 5. 
It's interesting. I think there's a next slide here. A farmer went out to sow his seed. So interesting to note that the concept of parables to throw truth alongside of or a story with meaning is reflected itself in the parable of the sower. The parable is about a farmer throwing seed, which is God's word, it says, onto various different soil conditions, various different ground types, and that's our heart. One commentator seeing this correlation referred to this passage as the parable about parables, meaning the parable illustrates to us what a parable does. You see that? It it illustrates to us what a parable does. It's a parable about parables. It's almost as if Jesus was teaching his disciples and us too why, we should, why he would speak in parables throughout his ministry. It also reflects the outcome of Jesus' preaching ministry, which I find fascinating. Jesus traveled around for three years preaching the word of God. In various cities, in different contexts, he was preaching the kingdom and the message of the kingdom. And we can see all of the different responses in this parable. People who don't listen to it at all, people who interact with it just for a moment, people who are choked out by other pursuits in life. We see all of those different responses in Jesus's ministry itself, meaning Jesus taught the best, or he preached the message of the kingdom, but not everybody responded to it the same. That's Jesus himself. It's fascinating to me that Jesus taught in parables. Jesus being the son of God, he's infinitely wise. He comes from heaven to earth to show us the Father, the image of the invisible God. So he's coming down to give us a visual. This is what God is like. He is God, and he provided a way to God. And in doing so, he taught many different things about the kingdom, including complex things, challenging things for our minds to wrap around. But one of his chief strategies for doing that was through sharing stories simple stories that people could relate to. Jesus interacted with many different people throughout his ministry. And during his life and his stories reached young and old, rich and poor, people across different ethnic lines, cultures, social standings. And he's still doing that today with his teaching. His parables are still doing that today. I find that fascinating. See, despite your views on Jesus, whether he's divine or not, we have to agree that Jesus was a great teacher, the best teacher, a legendary teacher. And I believe more than just a teacher, but we have to agree on that base fact. 2,000 years later, we still mark our calendar after him and we repeat many of his words. I'm going to quote to you, uh, a historian, H.G. Wells, said this, I am a historian, I am not a believer, but I must confess that as a historian, this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. That's the Lord that we follow. It's an undisputed fact that Jesus changed the world with his life. And he did that through simple yet profound stories. Whereas I often try to be profound and simply miss the point. He's just so unlike anyone else, so simple, so relatable with his stories. 
yet has a way to just completely change the world and change a heart. It's very humbling. You know, I think of missed opportunities as a parent, where my kid comes to me, where one of my sons will come to me and just share, you know, I'm having this struggle at school. You know, I'm not getting along with someone. And so what do I do? I try to be the wise dad. Oh, well, you see, the Bible says that we must love our enemies. And I go into the, I launch into a sermon. The poor kid is just wanting his dad to hear his heart and understand. I think so often we idolize complexity and being intellectual. And it's not that being intellectual is wrong or bad. There's a place for that. But it should cause us to think that Jesus taught a great deal of his biggest truths in simple story forms about a farmer sowing seed. That's humbling to me. That goes, man, I want simplicity in my life. I don't want to be more clever than Jesus. Are we too clever for Jesus? Sometimes I worry about that. I never want to lose the simplicity of the gospel. When Jesus shared this story, it would have been very relatable to the people that he was sharing it with. And that remains to be true today, 2,000 plus years later. This story is still relatable. So we're going to talk about the brilliance of parables. While it's true that Jesus told simple parables, that does not mean that everybody could easily discern the meaning of them. They were simple. They weren't shallow. They weren't shallow. Jesus wasn't, you know, not smart. Jesus was very smart, but he told simple stories. This is exactly what we see in the passage. So notice this. His disciples asked him what the parable meant. I don't know. Have you ever been afraid to ask a question because you didn't want to look silly? So you just kind of, you know, shrug it off as like, oh yeah, totally. I'm with you on this one. Meanwhile, you're like, I have no idea what they're talking about. Has that ever been you? Because we don't want to look silly, right? It takes humility to ask a question. And this really encourages me because the disciples, they hear the simple story, but they're left scratching their heads. And instead of, you know, just pretending, oh yeah, good one, Jesus, you got that one, you knocked it out of the park. They go up to him and in humility, they ask him what the parable meant. I love that. And asking questions is not a sign of weakness. Jesus responded to them. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables so that though seeing, they may not see, and though hearing, they may not understand. You know, I've read this passage before and I've been puzzled. It doesn't seem fair to me. It doesn't seem fair to me that that's Jesus' response. Jesus is saying that they... The disciple, ooh, yeah, I think we might need to switch that mic up. Um, Jesus is saying that they possess something, almost like they possess a key to understanding what he is saying, understanding the truth. Just give me one second. Mark. Hello? Oh, there we go. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate that. He's saying that they possess something, like a key. How can that be fair to the others, though? It seems like, so you're saying they don't have the key? They can't decipher what you're saying, Jesus? So we need to be very clear on this. We need to be very clear about what Jesus is not doing and what Jesus is doing. So first, what Jesus is not doing. 
Jesus is not promoting favoritism by only letting a select few privileged people in on the secret. That's not what Jesus is doing. In fact, Jesus' ministry could be marked by he had a heart for the least of these. That's what Jesus was all about. So he wasn't about favoritism and favoring this over that. And Jesus is also not trying to test people's minds and offer truth only to those that are quote-unquote smart enough. As in, Jesus is not saying this is just for the elite. In fact, Jesus, when he was teaching, it was often, interestingly, it was often the elite of his day that were left completely missing the point of his parable. Right? So that's not what Jesus is doing. So what is Jesus doing then? Why is he responding like this? He's tossing out a message, or he's tossing out the seed, the parable, and he's allowing people to respond to it. That's what parables are all about. He's allowing people to respond to it. And those that ask, receive. Those that ask. He's not testing our minds, but Jesus is testing our hearts. See, I've often read this, and I read the secrets of the knowledge of the kingdom. Like, wow, I guess I'm not smart enough. It's not an IQ test. It's a heart test. Jesus is sowing the seed. He's putting it out there, and he's giving you, and he's giving me the choice. How are you going to respond to that? And to those that ask, receive. I want you to notice this next detail. If you look at the account in Mark's gospel, Mark 4, verse 10, he says, the 12, this is the same parable, by the way. This is Mark recording the exact same story, so the disciples are coming to ask Jesus, but Mark includes another detail. The 12 and others around him asked about the parables. So we see here that it wasn't only the 12 that got the understanding. Those 12 formed the core of Jesus' ministry, but he had other disciples too. And they came and asked, hey, what, what does this parable mean? And Jesus told them. Here's the truth. Those that ask, receive. But this takes humility. It takes actually humbling yourself and going, can you help me figure this out? Which is what the so-called elite often fail to do. They fail to have humility and go, I need help understanding. They either suppose that they know the truth or they're too proud to admit that they don't get it. But the humble disciple that's willing to ask a question receives. Jesus' teaching was, was reflective of this. Look at Matthew 7, 7 to 8, right in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone that asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks. The door will be opened to you. Jesus is inviting, daring almost. Come and ask. Come and seek. Come and pursue me so that I may be found. And we go, wow, okay, that was great when Jesus had actual disciples on the earth that they could go and ask him, but what about us now? Well, here's the amazing truth. John 14, 25 to 26. All this I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom, the, uh, whom my Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have spoken, everything I have taught. I was meditating on this verse as I prepared this week. Is that an invitation that I actually take Jesus on? He gives us this offer 
Here's the Holy Spirit, the advocate. Will you ask? Will you be humble? Will you seek? That's the question. So the brilliance of parables is this. It's an open invitation from Jesus to seek the wisdom and heart of God. I truly believe that Jesus has hidden his heart in these parables, these simple stories that we read in Scripture. And we get, as a, you know, as a believer or as a church, we get so accustomed to the stories. Oh yeah, there's a farmer sowing seed, or there's a sheep that's lost, or you know, all of these different parables that we read. But they're invitations to us to explore the depths of God's heart for us. And we have the Holy Spirit to help us do that. So Jesus shares the parable and he leaves us with this choice of how to respond to it. So then, how do people respond? That's the big question. How do people respond? And I'm so glad you asked that question because it leads me to my next point. So thank you very much for that. Understanding the four responses, the different soil types. So first, there's the matter of the sower and, or the farmer and the seed, okay? We're not gonna spend much time here for sake of time, but the farmer is God. It's pretty explanatory. The farmer is God. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that how God is the one who is sowing the seeds. The seed is the word of God. In Matthew's account, he describes the seed as the message about the kingdom. The message about the kingdom. Certainly, this word of God is the Bible. Absolutely, that is part of it. But it's also the inner workings, the promptings, the nudges, the whispers of the Holy Spirit as he leads us towards Christ, as he leads us towards God himself. So he will use the Bible to do that, but when he says the word of God, sowing the word of God, it doesn't just literally mean the Bible. That is certainly a part of it, but it's the message about the kingdom. You'll notice that throughout the parable, the soil changes, okay? Different responses are happening, but the seed and the sower never change. That's the same. They never change throughout all of the different uh, responses. The Word of God remains the same. It's an interesting picture to think about the Word of God as a seed. That's an interesting one. As I thought about it, there's a couple things that we can learn from that. First of all, seeds, they start small, but they grow. It starts out, you know, it's, it's simple where it starts, but it begins to expand. This Word of God, this message, it begins to expand, or that's its intent, in our hearts and claim more and more and more of our allegiance. Second, all of the coding of the seed is in there, right in its tiny form. All of the coding for the plant is already in that little seed. But it takes time to produce it. So you look at a seed... It has everything it needs to grow up and to become what it's supposed to be. And the seed dies in the process. The seed dies and new life takes place. I think that there's an amazing message for us that the word of God, the seed that's sent, planted in our hearts, already has all of the coding that it needs. It's this message about a God who loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's the coding of this seed, this word of God that's being planted in the soil. It's amazing, but it takes time to produce. And then lastly, what's interesting is that seeds produce plants, 
which in turn produce seeds. If you think about the word of God as a seed, there's the Great Commission already built right into there. It's supposed to be this repeating cycle that the word is planted in our hearts. It's supposed to grow up and we are supposed to then in turn play a part in the story by producing seeds and sowing them in our areas of influence, in our lives. I think it's beautiful. Peter says this about the seed. I was reading this in my devotions last week and I just had to include it. If we're going to be talking about the word of God as seed, 1 Peter has to be quoted. And so I want to read to you just this passage. 1 Peter 1, 17 to 25 says this, Since you call on the Father who judges each person, each person's work impartially, meaning he doesn't show favoritism, live out your lives as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life that was handed down from, uh, to you from your ancestors. But it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but he was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of, imperishable, or not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. That's the message of the kingdom. For all people are like grass, all their glory is like a, the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So when Jesus is talking about sowing seed, that must have inspired Peter and gripped him to think about this message of the kingdom being planted in our hearts. The seed, Peter tells us, is the precious blood of Jesus. That is what has been sown into our hearts. It is not perishable, but it is imperishable, meaning it's going to last for eternity. I think that's beautiful. But in the closing moments of this sermon this morning, I want to talk to you now about the responses to the seed. While the seed may not change and the sower doesn't change, the responses to the seed do. And this is where I pray that the Lord stirs in our hearts that we may consider what kind of response do we have to Jesus this morning. So let's look at the four different conditions, soil conditions. There's the path, there's the rocky ground, there's the thorns, and then there's the good soil. So let's work our way through in order. First, we'll start with the path. Those along the path, this is Jesus now explaining the parable to his disciples, those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. First thing I want you to notice is that they heard the word. Actually, that goes for every one of the responses. Every single soil condition hears the word. And that's, no, uh, that's something that I think we should take notice of. I think that sometimes hearing can become a deception for us. We say to ourselves, I've already heard that before. Maybe even as I'm speaking, you're like, yes, I've heard this message before. I've heard these points before. Or I've, I know this already. But Jesus says, 
be careful how you hear. He actually, right after telling the parable of the sower, he tells another parable, and then he ends with this. Be careful how you hear. Meaning, everyone can hear a message, but be careful how you hear. What you do with what you hear is very important. James 1 verse 22 says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That is a wild statement. James is saying that just by simply listening to the word of God, you can deceive yourself. You go, what? I thought that was like the one safe, safe spot. Now, the word of God is safe. It is totally true. It's the inspired word of God. But James warns us, be careful not to just listen. You have to put it into practice. And we can deceive ourselves when we don't. That is sobering. We have a responsibility. What are we going to do with what we hear? So the seed, it's not received. It falls on the path. The path would have been where the workers are walking all day and the soil gets compacted until it becomes like cement. It's hard ground. And so when the seed is thrown out and it lands on the path, it's not received. It doesn't go into the soil. And then it says that the birds of the air, or Satan, comes and snatches those seeds away. And I remember when I seeded my, my yard. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm tossing out the seeds and I'm just hoping that I have nice, beautiful green grass the next day because that's how it's, it works, right? I think. No, it takes time, of course. But you sow the seeds and then I would sit there and I would watch the birds fly down and I would wish that it was okay to shoot a gun in town. I'd go, stop eating my seeds! <laughs> that's supposed to be my lawn! And the birds were just like, hey, thank you so much for putting out this buffet for me. That was so considerate of you. So this is what happens when we have a hard heart towards God. When we are callous, the word of God just simply sits exposed on the surface and the devil takes great joy in the game of just coming and snatching it away. We're not going to go any further on this one, though, for sake of time. Let's move to the rocky ground. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe only for a little while, but when the time of testing comes, they fall away. Notice that there's a distinction here between the path. This response hears the word and they receive it. It says they even receive it with joy. Okay, so there's progression here. We're going in the right direction. There's retention. The seed needs soil to grow, and the message of the kingdom needs an open heart to produce a crop. There's a lot of people today that are open to the idea of God, particularly in certain moments of their life. And there's even more people that are open to the idea of certain aspects of, of God. You know, oh, it's if you want to talk about God, sure, talk about like the love of God, the positivity of God, you know, throw in a, I can do all things through Christ, you know, that's an encouraging one. We're good to talk about certain aspects of God, others not so much though. But I want to give you an example. People are open to God at certain moments in their life. I've observed this, such as when they're at a funeral, there's, there's a receptivity there. The heart is open. Or perhaps there's a big tragedy, something like a, a natural disaster or a national tragedy of some sort. There's openness. 
or when they're going through a personal hardship or maybe when things are going really well for them or when they're at a wedding or different milestone moments. People are open to God for moments of their life. When we have a reason for God, we go to him. But when things go back to quote-unquote normal, our desires go back to quote-unquote normal as well. Others, it's the opposite. They're given a gospel that told them that Jesus was going to make them happy, rich, and famous. And that's why the parable says, as soon as hardship comes, they fall away because they were given this gospel that said, Jesus has come to make your life here on this earth better. Now, Jesus has made my life here on this earth better, but the truth is, one of the ways he's done that is he's walked me through hardships. And I've come out the other side still in love with him, more in love with him. But they were given this message that those hardships wouldn't exist. And so when they do, they're deceived and they fall away. But here, I want to ask you an honest question. Here's honesty time. Have you ever come to church and been moved by a sermon? And you're like, I know where you're going with this. I'm not playing along. Okay, that's fine. Don't play along, but I'll ask it anyway. Have you ever come to church and been really moved by a sermon? Or perhaps you were in a devotional time and you were reading a passage of scripture and all of a sudden it just came alive to you. And your heart was stirred and there was life there. There was a, a desire there. You ever been so excited by a word from the Lord, but by the time you get home from church, it's basically non-existent? Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me countless times. You know, even just think of last week's sermon. Pastor Lauren preached a sermon that just created an urgency in my heart. He said, Jesus is coming back, and you shouldn't assume that you'll be ready. I left church going, oh, I need to think about that. And I did. But how many times have I gone home from church? I've been, you know, impacted. I've been inspired. But when push came to shove, I just let it fizzle out and go cold in my heart. Has that ever happened to you? Not to guilt anyone, but we, you know, we say this, that message really spoke to me. Or, man, that message was convicting. Or, you know, even the ultimate, you know, litmus test in Christianity I even cried a little bit. Like, I shed a tear. That must mean it was legit. I don't know if you've noticed that, but we seem to really put a lot of stock on crying. And I love a good cry. I really do. You know, when the Lord just, man, grips your heart and you cry, oh, yes, Jesus, thank you. But these things aren't bad, but they're also not the, they're not the goal either. We're not supposed to make those what we fix our eyes on. We're not chasing after that message really convicted me as if that was the goal. That's just the first step. Now it's time to put the work into practice. And you're at home and you're going, I'm having second thoughts. Maybe that was just a weird, you know, case of like religious fanaticism. I just got really worked up and must have just been like something in the air that day. But I'm just going to let it go cold now. Francis Chan has this to say. It says, Christians in America have become experts at conviction and failures at action. The goal is not to be convicted by a message, although conviction is a part of the process. The goal is to take that conviction and by the help of the Holy Spirit to put it into action in our lives. It's not the fruit when we feel convicted. It's supposed to be part of the process of bearing fruit. All right, so that is uh, the, or that's where it falls on the rocky ground. Let's look at the thorns now. 
The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked out by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. So the progression continues. This response hears it, they receive the word, and they even start to form a root. They even start to grow a little bit. But the plant, as the plant begins to grow, so do the weeds. So do the thorns. And here it says that the thorns are the riches and the worries and the pleasures of this world. So a whole sermon could be preached on this. And I wish I had more time to go into it, but I don't. So we're just going to do a very simple look at some, some of the things that Jesus says. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12. He said, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus spoke about these matters often. And if you're looking for another good passage to sit on this week, go to Luke chapter 12. And just that was just the beginning, literally the beginning of a long, lengthy sermon about the dangers of wealth and possessions, being rich towards the world, but not towards God. This should be a sobering reminder to us. Jesus said that life's worries, riches, and pleasures have the potential to choke us out. That's a graphic image, to choke us out. It doesn't start out feeling bad, maybe. You start going, yeah, it's taking root, it's growing. But as the weeds grow alongside, they're going to slowly choke out your desire to follow Jesus, your will to persevere. And, I, you know, I just thought of this. It'd be like saying, oh, man, that anaconda just wants a hug. Like, love that snake. I'm going to give him a hug. Yeah, that's not his end goal, to give you a nice warm hug. He's planning on squeezing the life out of you. And that's like these thorns. They squeeze the life out of us. Life's worries. There's bills to pay. There's yards to keep. There's food to make. There's mouths to feed. Hungry kids. What have you? Not bad things, but those are life's worries, places to go. Or there's riches. There's always another dollar to be made, and it never seems like you have quite enough. Just an endless pursuit of more. Or there's the pleasures in search of that next experience that is finally going to satisfy you. Jesus warns us, these things will choke out your life, your spiritual life. We live in a world of noise and distraction, and I want you to consider that the world is not neutral towards, its, towards our attention span. The world isn't just neutral. It is actively trying to take your attention off of Jesus. We are called to fix our eyes on Jesus. We are called to set our mind on Christ. And the world isn't just neutral towards that. It is actively trying to pull us in another direction. I want to read you a, a quote from a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by a, by a man, pastor named John Mark Comer, and he has this to say. I thought it was just the perfect example that we could, we could really relate to what Jesus is saying here. So John Mark Comer says this, Reminder, your phone doesn't actually work for you. You pay for it, yes, but it works for a multi-billion dollar corporation in California, not for you. You're not the customer, you're the product. And in my notes, I wrote gasp. It's, a, it's your attention that's for sale along with your peace of mind. Think about that. 
Your phone isn't working for you. It is selling something. It's selling your attention to advertisers or to other people that are hopefully going to make money off of capitalizing on your attention. That's the aim of your phone. And hey, phones aren't bad. I know we live in a digital world. I know that screens are likely not going anywhere. And I'm not up here saying, everyone, you should chuck your phones in the stage and we burn them. Although that would maybe be fun. That would possibly be a really fun way to end the sermon. But we won't do that. Okay? But I am saying it should sober us to think, that's right, there are other things competing for my attention. There are other things in this life competing for my heart. It's not just Jesus that's looking for a response from you. The world is looking for a response from you. And they want to busy you up. And it's not only that these things, it's not, not just a moral thing, bad thing. Even I wonder sometimes if living in this distracted world robs us of our influence and robs us of the impact that we could make for Jesus. There's this story, you know, with some of these old stories from church history, could it be that this is maybe not exactly how it played out? Absolutely. But there is a story out there about St. Thomas Aquinas. He was a philosopher and theologian from the 1200s, okay? And it's a really fascinating story because he was in Rome, part of the Catholic Church, and a friend commented to him, and he said, you know that passage, I'm, I'm very much paraphrasing now, he probably didn't say it like this, but he's like, you know that passage where, you know, Peter says, silver and gold I don't have? He's like, hey, we don't have to say that anymore, because he's looking around and going, look, we have a lot of silver and gold, to which Thomas Aquinas replied, yeah, but we also don't have the power to say, pick up your mat and walk. And sometimes I wonder if we've traded a life empowered by the Holy Spirit to make a difference for a life of just being distracted. And Jesus warns us, don't let it choke you out. But lastly, let's move on to the, the good soil. This is the one that we want to pay attention to. This is the one that we want as believers to strive for. The good soil response. I would say the good soil is a call to persevere. And that's where we're going to end. Jesus says, But the seed that fell on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a harvest. That's the response that we want. We've seen that in each category they've heard. They've heard the word. Some have even retained the word, and we just saw in the last soil condition with the thorns that they even began to grow, but they were choked out. So what is the secret to succeeding? Finally, we're going to get over the hurdle, and we're going to see success. What's the secret to that? Jesus says that the secret is perseverance, which is, remember, what Google taught us. It seems weird to quote Jesus and Google right beside each other, but persistence keeping, to keep going in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. You know, I want to read to you this passage that just correlates so beautifully. It's out of Galatians chapter 6. And I have spent hours in Galatians 5 and 6 over this past year. I just really believe that there's something that the Lord wants to teach me, that he's continuing to teach me 
about what does perseverance look like? What's its value? What's its importance in the life of a disciple? Someone attempting to follow Jesus. And here's the passage, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Church, I'm going to read that one more time. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So what is the secret to producing a harvest? A plentiful harvest. Jesus promised that it would be a really good harvest. The answer is perseverance. So how do I grow in perseverance? I want to end by making this so practical. So practical. I believe that if you want, you can walk out of here today with a plan for how to grow in perseverance. Because it's actually not difficult. I want to make this very practical. The answer to grow in perseverance is humility and by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, I think we often hear the word perseverance and right away just a wave of weariness comes over us. All right, so just work harder, but I'm just exhausted. Or I've been trying for so long and I just am not seeing anything. And you hear that word and immediately you're tempted to just disengage. And it is true that perseverance requires, you know, pushing through. The beauty is it's not on your strength. It's not on your determination or your power. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we produce a harvest. And so here is the very practical way that we're going to end. I want to show you how the Holy Spirit can help you to produce perseverance. Through self-discipline and self-control. The Holy Spirit wants to use both of these things to produce a harvest in you. Self-control and self-discipline. Now, this is again thanks to John Mark Comer. I'm borrowing this thought from him. But when I heard it, it just resonated. So listen, this is what self-control is. Self-control is the ability to say no to something. Whereas self-discipline is the ability to say yes to something. And the Holy Spirit wants to use both of these things simultaneously to help you persevere and produce a harvest of peace and righteousness in your heart. So this is how it works. Self-control, the ability to say no to something. The ability to say no to something that in the short term would feel so good. It would feel like, hey, this actually is a pressing thing. I'm going to do this because right now it would just make me feel good. But in the long term, it's not good for your soul and it will lead to death. Whereas self-discipline uh, self is the ability to say yes to something that in the short term may feel difficult. It may feel like this is not naturally what I want to do. But the Holy Spirit wants to help you do it because long-term it is going to bear peace, righteousness, and hope in your heart. So this is where we want to end. If you have a journal or a phone, I invite you to pull that out. We're just going to spend a moment reflecting on this.
what's something that this week you may need to say no to? As in, is there an area that the Lord is asking you this week to grow in the fruit of self-control? And so maybe it's a distraction in your life. As I was mentioning before, maybe it's just something that is pulling your attention off of Jesus or dragging your mind down to a place where it should not be, where you focus on negativity or condemnation or sin. Maybe it's something that you don't want to give up control on, but the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to give that to me. I want you to say no to being in control of an area that I am supposed to be in control of. So here's my challenge for you this week. I want you to find a trusted friend or mentor and figure out what is this thing that you feel the Lord is asking you to say no to and share it with them. Just be honest. This requires humility. Radical vulnerability leads to radical change when we are actually able to, with a trusted Friend, another person who has the same goal. I want to pursue Jesus. I want to go for it. Get together with someone like that and just be radically honest. I'm struggling with this. No need to sugarcoat it. Just share, this is where I'm at and I just need the Holy Spirit to help me to say no to this this week. Share it with them and then ask the Holy Spirit to help you with it. And likewise, what is something that you need to say yes to this week? So, uh, next slide, please. Thank you. Maybe it's carving out some time to get alone with God. Maybe it's actually, you just need some stillness in your life. There's so much noise, there's so much busyness swirling around about you. You just could use an hour to sit on the deck with a cup of coffee, maybe have a journal open, and just say, Jesus, I need to receive from you this week. Whatever it is, what is something that you need to say yes to? Maybe it's just meeting with a friend, getting prayer, getting accountability. The Holy Spirit will lead you in this. So the challenge is spend some time asking the Lord what he'd like to lead you in this week. Share with someone and take steps towards that. Does that make sense? Church, we have this amazing call to persevere, and this is where I want to end. As I reflected on this passage of the parable of the sower this week, it suddenly dawned on me. I've always read these as obviously the teaching of Jesus. But all of a sudden, something new came to light, a note of prophecy. I looked at this passage and I went, this passage is, in essence, a prophecy. It's prophetic, meaning it wasn't just Jesus saying some nice words. We don't have to wonder whether Jesus was right. He was. The word of God will continue to be preached, and the parable of the sower will continue to unfold. Some will respond with disinterest. Some, out of curiosity, will proceed a little bit, but it's only skin deep. Some with a glimmer of desire, but not outweighing that of their own sinful desires and the noise of this world. But then lastly, there will be some that respond with desire and choose to go, Lord, I'm weak. Lord, I need your help. Would you help me to persevere? And Jesus isn't going to be wrong about that. There will be a great harvest. He's coming back for his church he will come back for a pure bride. 
and the harvest will be great. The only thing that remains up in the air is how are you and how am I going to respond to this parable today? Are we going to choose to persevere or are we going to choose to walk away going, that was a nice thought, that was a good story, Jesus, and do nothing with it? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your heart found in the parables. And Lord, I ask you right now by a working of your Holy Spirit that you would inspire us to say yes to you. God, give us good hearts, humble hearts that want to follow you. And Jesus, I pray that as we leave here today, that our hearts would not drift from your presence, Lord, that all that we do, all that we say, what our minds think about, the ways we choose to spend our time, would it reflect who you are to us? We love you, Jesus. Pray this all in your powerful name. Amen.